0: hey there boils and goals welcome to this week's episode of hollow weekly and movie lovers from every corner of the world are gonna love this episode george and i were so happy to sit down with craig hamill the ceo of the secret movie club now if you're an angelino where this uh you know we're in in los angeles where this podcast is recorded uh you've probably heard about this because this is incredible in fact that's where george i and garen went and saw life force which was a life <laughs> life-changing experience and we talk about everything i mean we we as soon as i'm done blabbing about this intro you're going to see that we <laughs> we we go in hot on raiders of the lost ark i'm telling you we go from raiders of the lost ark we get some david lynch in there we talk about some life force and hell we even talk about the amazingness the awesome sauce that is the secret movie club and how they've dealt with COVID. In fact, the only way I can describe how Craig has handled COVID, he basically took COVID like the Undertaker took mankind and just choke slammed it from the top of the hell in the cell. All right, and now they're doing the uh, the drive-in, <laughs> the drive-in clubs, uh, which are absolutely awesome. You got to check it out. Go to secretmovieclub.com, and get all the information about. It. They have a lot of. I'm telling you. Check it out now. They have a lot of screenies coming up that look really awesome. And it sounds like October is going to be the bee's knees. So, so enjoy the interview. <laughs> and leave us a review on iTunes. You're going to love it. Here it is.
1: Well, you know what's funny is, um, and actually I'm going to, it's funny, I'm listening to it on my Zoom, which is what I probably always should have been doing. Uh, But, (laughs) uh, so I went to USC film school, and in your middle year as a grad student, you pick a discipline. And even Mm -hmm. though I I was a writer, director, and much more personally fascinated with editing and cinematography, I decided to do sound, because no one ever does sound. And I learned this really weird thing that I'm really grateful for, you can have a bad shot uh, or something can look a little cheesy, but if your sound is bad, people will tune out of the movie. And Mm -hmm. it was a really weird lesson. Your dialogue and your sound and everything has to be crystal clear. So I've come to have a big respect for sound. That's really interesting. Can you think of a movie that screwed that up? Um, Yeah. Well, there's some like, there are a few interesting stories I know of that are weird and, But, like, uh, there's a Hao Xiao Sen film. I'm a Taiwanese filmmaker. I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, Mm -hmm. called, I think, Three Times or Three Ages. He made it about 15 years ago. And um, the first segment, it was uh, three stories. The first story, they botched The weekend, And they uh, came back. The sound was horrible. And what he decided to do was he just made it a silent film. (laughs) And... (laughs) He uh, just put subtitles or uh, inner titles like the old silent movies. But when you watch it, it doesn't quite work because you're like, oh, did something go on with their sound? Is that why they're doing that? So, so he, didn't he didn't completely hide the fact that they had a sound issue. And, but maybe a, a better story. Is uh so I'm a huge Raiders of the Lost Ark fan. It, it's one of my favorite films of all time. In my top fifteen, easy. It's my number eleven, but I don't I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Indiana um,
2: Jones started Secret
1: Cinema, right? Well, yeah, that that's right. Secret Movie Club's first movie was uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark because okay. it's so meaningful to me. And um, but the the weird thing is, we did a class once where we watched the boulder scene at the beginning of Raiders when he gets the, the Inca idol and, you know, we're all loving it. da da. da, da, da. Then they showed it without the sound and it kind of looked ridiculous. Uh, and it was sort of funny to watch cause you realize the balls, paper mache, you notice all the production design, your eye, cause you, your ear can't do anything. So you're like, Oh, and it was a real, um, lesson in how sound can sell a world completely. Or bad sound will not sell the world.
2: That's so interesting. Maybe maybe they is. screwed up the camera in Godzilla 2014, and that's why the whole movie's black. They just they, they did the silent. Movie <laughs> we'll thing. get the roar on point. <laughs> <laughs> the sound. <laughs> that will be amazing. We just won't show anyone anything. Um,
1: <laughs> 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 impressive. <laughs> Was it Nick? Were you the one who saw Life Force? Yeah, we both we both were. Oh, our, did you? Uh, 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 hmm.
2: Yeah, we got to do a, a, a shout out to our friend. So, Garen Sparks is, uh, he He works in the industry. He's an incredible
1: cinephile. Oh, I, I found do, him. Garen's through, amazing.
2: Yeah, yeah. Garen's incredible. So, we found him through Facebook, oddly. Our our Facebook page posted one of my passion movies, which is the 77 The Car, the, the Brolin movie, right? So, mm-hmm. he, he reacted to the post and we started talking, and I was like, you should come on the podcast. You're amazing. So, we became friends, and he turned us on to, to, what you're doing and the Life Force event, so we went. All three of us went together and saw it together, and it was incredible.
1: Oh well, then we we probably met. I was in my suit and I probably did. Well, that's my where we saw
0: you, and I thought, "Well, we got to have this guy on the show." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was
1: like, okay, "You don't have to
0: play the movie; you just keep talking about movies." <laughs>
2: Look, I, I so I don't want to like fanboy it too much, but but that experience was my favorite movie going experience, and I had gone to. Some universal marathons and some a lot other of the, stuff. Like the,
0: the cinematic void stuff, like the Egyptian. Right, right, stuff, exactly. And, stuff.
2: and not to compare and contrast, but like the, the, light, the way it was introduced, it was like true raw passion with knowledge. The crowd was a different feel than I usually feel at those kind of events. Everything about it was magic. The music playing when we went to go sit down. Yeah, everything was magic. Even the night. Like the weather and the walking
0: up on the Vista. Well, the beautiful part is is Garin drove us and I saw all the street parking at the Vista. And I was like, we can come here all the time. (laughs) (laughs) This is is so great.
2: So anyway, we did see you at the event. We were super impressed. And it was my favorite movie going uh, event. It was tied with, I saw, I can't ever say this movie's name, Princess Mononoke at uh, CESPIA. And I had never seen it before. And there was something about that night that was magic for me, too. But those were my two top two for the last couple of years.
1: Well, that, that is super kind of you to say. And I, I feel like I'm a debater in a presidential debate. I made like a number of notes. So I'm going to hit on everything we just talked about. I agree with you. Raiders is one of those movies that once you start it, you can't. It's like Goodfellas and sort of like we all have our own things. Godfather yep. Part Two. Yep. It's, it, it could be four in the morning. And you'd be like, <laughs> yeah. I, I got to get up at six, so I'm only going to watch the first twenty minutes of Godfather Part Two, and then. Well, if it's three,
2: Godfather Part Two, it'll be four in the morning eventually. wherever yeah. you started.
1: <laughs> and and so I'm totally down on that on Raiders. Thank you guys uh, very much for coming to the event. Life Force. It, it's funny that we could do a whole thing on Life Force because there. That was one of the and I I want to say this the right way. So you guys, it strikes me, have seen tons of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I love movies and you begin to realize if you do a little uh, sort of introspection or empirical thinking that different movies are on different people's frequencies. And -hmm. in fact, we're doing drive-ins right now and I'm learning that again, relearning that. So if I show Raiders, everybody's going to love it and you you can enjoy it on a whole bunch of different frequencies, the Mm -hmm. Steven Spielberg frequency, the story, the Harrison Ford, whatever. Mm -hmm. When you show life force, some people are going to be like what the f is this and (laughs) and you're going to be like no yo listen it's naked space vampires Uh muppets london (laughs) it gets crazy henry mancini wrote like a legit dope score it makes no sense but when Tobey hooper tells you it's like a gothic hammer film you're kind of like oh i kind of see that uh but you just got to go with the experience. And that's a frequency I noticed some people go with right. and other people resist. So right. we we want to do those movies because I love those experiences. But I've noticed that you lose certain people sure. when there's like there's a I, I, I want to say it the right way. But you enjoy it in a different way than just a pure one to one. You're right, sort of enjoying right. the subtext or the ridiculousness of it. Some people love that, and other people were like, why would I watch a bad movie? You're like, but it's not a bad movie if you love it. (laughs) Right,
2: and and, and, you know,
1: it's funny because I love that
2: formulation of the frequencies. I think there's actually films that plow their own frequency forward and maybe bring some people in at adjacent frequencies that might not join along, right? And I think Life Force might be one of those because I'm not a huge space horror uh, fan, right? So I've never been the biggest, like event horizon a lot of the peripheral movies aren't with <laughs> i love alien three but but for some reason it's not the sweetest spot of my i like a classic old horror and like fringe horror foreign stuff and like whatever so i didn't expect to be so taken by this movie <laughs> and it really brought me along like it was an incredible experience
1: yeah it, it's also one of those movies i i i use this metaphor a lot and i've been using it i i don't know since and so secret movie club had a re- an incarnation prior to its current incarnation where we would, a group of friends and I in my 20s, um, I had this idea of let's show movies that a lot of people haven't seen. So you can't show Jaws. I, we all love Jaws, but it, mm-hmm. you wouldn't show that. But show a movie that probably all your other friends hadn't seen, and the only rules were you had to pre-screen it for awesomeness. And if it sucked, no one was going to come to your apartment again, and, and I think we all had to drink. those were like, those were like the rules, right. and so I opened up with Russ Meyer's Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which I love. I'm a so. huge yeah, I'm a huge Russ Meyer fan, but it's like a movie that a lot of my friends hadn't seen, so bup, bup, up, and we came up with this formulation in that iteration of Secret Movie Club that if a movie went to eleven, which I guess is a spinal chap reference, mm-hmm. where you just go like what?" then it's a great movie. And I feel like life force goes to 11 in like minute five Mm -hmm. and then it goes to 13. And then by the time there's a zombie apocalypse in London and it's like (laughs) a love story, you're like, what?
2: (laughs) That's totally right.
1: (laughs) Plus the other thing is you're subconsciously
2: picking up. Like it's like you're at a food truck and you've got the noise and the ambiance and the banging of the spatulas or whatever and then they hand out like something good and then they hand out something you would get at a like a five star restaurant and something good like because the music is so top notch that's a great thing and metaphor, some of the other right? things happening in the movie are so top notch
1: and then some things are so ludicrous <laughs> like you're like what is happening here and i think everybody talks about, i mean life force also i i don't know if we want to i think you have to address the elephant in the room which is that every adolescent boy who's told about Matilda May in that movie, when you see that movie and you're like, wait, is she ever in clothes? And like, someone's (laughs) like, she walks naked the whole movie, huh? You're like, what? And But the part that's hilarious is when she shapeshifts, like she can go into different people. Uh And so then Patrick Stewart, Captain Picard, makes out with with Uh the guy at the like insane asylum. And you're like, wait, are they about to make out? Then it like, it, it just keeps going places you would never expect. Right, and that's sort of
2: unsettling because it feels like there's an element of dangerousness in a movie that could go anywhere. (laughs) Totally. It
0: reminds me, uh, I was listening to an interview with Kevin Smith when he was talking about how he wrote Red State. He was like, whenever I knew where it was going, I stopped writing. Mm -hmm. And then I'd pick up and go again. And Life Force is the only other movie I can compare to to Red State that has that same like weird jazzy feel to it where you're just right. like I don't know what's gonna happen it's gonna be weird we're but a, I'm fucking here for we're it. Right? We're on a map and now we're not on the map. Exactly.
2: Side, really. So I, I'm fascinated by the the so so Secret Movie Club started as this as this communal fun thing. I hope you saved those. Rules, by the way, that reminds me of Sizz Kane when he saves the rules at the beginning. Because when this blows up, a huge you thing. You remind gonna, me. Get, get drunk, Free <laughs> screen for awesomeness. Like, you need that sheet of paper <laughs> now. But but you've pivoted now, and now I'm fascinated because you're having this different communal experience of drive-ins, right? So has this been going on long enough for you to have learned some things from it? And what do you, hope- what have you learned about group movie watching? That's also capsulized in vehicles that, that, that is, that we didn't know when this started. The,
1: so you hit on a number of interesting things and I, I don't want to be, I, I'm very verbose, so I don't want to be like a Russian novel and be digressive. So I want to ABC. love C, Russian th- novels. So go, go for, it, go go for it. it. I do too. I do too. But, um, the, the, so to answer your question, um, so the funny thing was that, yeah, Secret Movie Club started as a bunch of people in an apartment discovering movies you never knew existed, which I think is a great feeling. When a friend is like, check this movie out, and you're like, I had no idea movies like this existed. It's an amazing feeling. It's like being in uh, somebody else's dream. Um, then when we, when we started uh, Secret Movie Club, the way it essentially has existed since April 2016, that story I've told a number of times, and I'll be just real quick, but I'm a movie maker. I'm a writer director. And I had a bunch of friends who had made features and I asked them for advice, legitimate advice. And they were like, you know, we thought making a movie was 100 percent of the game, the writing it, the directing it, the editing it. And they said it's not. That's 49 percent of the game. You're not even halfway through the marathon. Fifty one percent of the game is marketing it distributing it, ex- exhibiting it, and getting at least enough of a response that someone will give you money for a second movie. This was weirdly the thing all of my friends told me. They, that was their big thing. And I thought, okay, so I want to learn about that. How can I do it um, and, and feel good? Like it, it feel that I'm not... Uh, like going to the dark side or whatever. And I thought, (laughs) so I thought about um, this thing I had done with my friends in apartments. And when I was at USC, I used to have people come speak. So we had Michael Mann speak about heat and John Woo speak about the killer. And Robert Wise, before he died, came in to speak about uh, West Side Story. And Russ Meyer came in to speak about Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. So I thought, okay, I'll show movies I love and uh, I'll learn about exhibition distribution and audience building, but I'm going to keep... The the ethos that had sort of drove me at USC, drove me with my friends, as you were just pointing out, George, because that's really, really key. Because I think people can smell BS. In fact, I don't think, I know they can. And I think the older I get, I'm 43, the more I realize the absolute importance of being an honest person and a truthful person. Like, and that's, I feel my karmic thing is really on all levels, because sometimes it's hard to be upfront with people, but I think that people can smell sincerity. And they can smell BS and, and you got to, so we did that and it grew and I'm going to, I'm going to skip that whole story to get to what you're saying. So, you know, we grew, we grew, we grew, we grew, showing these movies at the Vista and then expanding to other, uh, we did movie palaces. Now we have a 99 seat theater where we can do archive films and avant-garde stuff. Uh, anyway, COVID hits, right? <laughs> cut forward. Boom. 2001 match cut. COVID. <laughs> boom. So COVID hits And, you know, I'm a mutt. I don't know about you guys. I'm predominantly Irish, Catholic and Russian Jew, which uh, actually my all my team says, you always say that. And I go, I guess it's just something that really (laughs) is like on my mind constantly. So my dad was a
2: full name, George Patrick Healy. I can empathize
1: with you. you And so there we go. Mom's Catholic. Dad's Jewish. Um, but I think Irish Catholic, Russian Jew, you don't really get depressed. You just get (laughs) kind (laughs) of (laughs) angry and you just get this thing where you're like, F this. And you're a little crazy too. So, so you're like, F this COVID, like, I'm not going to sit around. And so initially we went to virtual screenings where we were doing these Netflix watch parties Mm -hmm. And they were fun, but they were really only working at about 20 people. More than that, it was like overwhelming. And it's not like we really had that demand. But so, I, you know, I was like, we got to get to drive-ins. We, we got to get to drive-ins because that's just from a business point of view and what we do, you, you got to move forward. You got to adapt. You've got to be dynamic. And I, I, I know all those things, believe all those things. So anyway, I made all these calls and like a lot of things that happened in my life, The first people I went to didn't respond. The the first thing I wanted to do was go to a permanent drive-in. So I wanted to go to like the – we're in Southern California. I know you guys have a huge audience. So here in Southern California, the only drive-ins that still exist, ironically for Southern California being the movie and car capital of the country, are uh, Vineland – Uh, which is in the city of industry and the paramount, which is in East LA. And then the mission Tiki, which is out in Claremont. So they're like three, only three or four functioning drive-ins. None of them responded to me. And that ate up about a month and a half of like, "Uh, please someone talk to me. Then um, through luck, someone in my building was like, you should talk to this guy. He does, they blow up a screen. They were showing on a college campus. He has all the equipment. Now they can't do a college campus because schools are shut down. And he and I talked, and it was very fortuitous. His name's Ralph Matamaros. He runs Electric Dusk Drive-In, which used to be at Atwater Village. And Ralph and I were looking for a partner to sort of share the cost, bring in the audience. And it really worked out, because it was we could do this But we each were taking on 50% of the risk, if that makes sense, rather than 100%. And money being so tight, that was very – and also we could split the duties 50-50. Anyway, George, I hope you have a judicious editor, but I'm getting to the main point. So so we started to do these things uh, in Glendale, which is still our home. Uh, There's a Sears in Glendale. And in this weird indicative way, uh, the Sears had closed down. But the parking lot was still there. And it's a great lot. And we put up the screen and um, we started at the beginning of August. So we've been doing it about two months. And to answer your question now directly, I have learned some really important things. Um, One fascinating thing is audiences are different depending on the venue. So when I was doing the Vista where, excuse me, where you guys saw life force. So for the audience, the Vista is one of the last single screen theaters in Los Angeles. It was built in 1920. It's built on where they shot the DW Griffith movie intolerance. So when you walk into that theater, yeah, you're like literally standing on ground zero of Hollywood cinemas, where Chaplin shot movies, Max Sennett, DW Griffith, Walt Disney.
0: That's crazy.
1: No, that's why you have that energy. And I'm not, I don't want to convert people. You know, I'm not here to proselytize, but I am a believer in kind of weird energies and picking up on things. And everybody loves the Vista. And one of my theories is, well, you're standing on hallowed ground. You're standing on sacred ground. This is where the American film industry started. Uh, And so it's a 370 seat theater. It's beautiful. You guys know it. You've been in there, but it's like the old theaters. It's got a lot of great work. Anyway, there i was showing movies at midnights and matinees and we built up a real movie making and movie loving audience which is why garen took you to um to life force so there I could show a Ukrainian movie like The Tribe. I don't know if you guys have seen it all signed. That's amazing. It's a movie from a few years back about a school of deaf kids, and it gets real violent and sexual. It's NC-17. Sorry, someone's calling me. To wrap up the story, uh, I could take a chance at the Vista because of our business model, and it's important. Mm -hmm. I want to show movies that, okay, maybe I'm only going to get 30 people. But, it, it, you know, I feel if, if you're, as a filmmaker and as an uh, organization, if you're just playing the hits, um, I feel like it eventually feels like a cash grab or not very inspiring. Right. You know, if it's yeah. just the same 10 movies all the time and you're just like, John Carpenter's the thing, Steven Spielberg's Jaws, you know what I It's just, there, there's only so much enjoyment you can get out of a greatest hits album. Yeah. Um, but what's funny is that when I did drive-ins... Um, it was not our Vista audience. It is a lot of young people, uh, college kids, people on dates, families. And so the thing that I've really learned is it's, it's like how Frank Lloyd Wright did architecture. You you go, okay, these drive-ins are families coming out, uh, couples who haven't been able to have a date night in you know, eight months coming out, um, friends getting together. So, I've, I've I've tried to program things like we did Paul Thomas Anderson's Punch Drunk Love, mm-hmm. we did. Um, I'm trying to think. We did Drive. We did Repo Man. Uh, you know, we're definitely trying to thread a needle of great, interesting movies and also just movies we all love. Like we did Mad Max Fury Road, which I think is a masterpiece. And but everybody's seen it. We did we did do Jaws. We did Tremors. You know, we also do fun stuff. Um, You you didn't think after six months of lockdown that a couple's
2: first date should be a Ukrainian death slaughter (laughs) (laughs) film?
1: I was no, neither did my partner. Yeah. I've had some conversations with my partner where I'll I'll pitch him something and he'll be, he's a very diplomatic guy. Ralph's very diplomatic, but you know how you're, you're engaged. I'm married. You know, we've all been in relationships. We, you just know when you tell someone something, if they're really into it or not, Mm -hmm. even if you just know right away. So with Ralph, I'll pitch something and he'll be like, Oh, I I can see that. I can. And I'm like, I, yeah. he's he's not into it. Ironically, um, I can see that means you're never going to see it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, but there you go. So, so to answer your question, maybe even more specifically, George, mm-hmm. I am finding myself programming uh, with Ralph. Ralph and I are co. Like Ralph, we just did musicals. Ralph was the one who wanted to do uh, Purple Rain. Although I love Purple Rain, I I would have programmed Purple Rain as well. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. But So Ralph would choose Purple Rain, and then, uh, you know, he and I would do Dirty Dancing. He wanted to, no, he wanted to do Dirty Dancing, so I balanced that with Grease. He wanted to do um, Purple, we agreed on Purple Rain, La La Land. Then I chose uh, um, Tommy and the Wall. So, you know, we, and what we're trying to do is build identities for different days. So maybe Thursdays are the cult night, and then Friday, Saturdays are the date nights, and then Sundays are the family night.
2: That's really cool. But so that's the programming side of things, which you obviously are massively gifted at. It's but I'm curious because so I noticed something weird and and I think it I, I don't even know how to ask this question. So forgive me. But you, no, no, you, ask, you, please. Nothing. So so table. ask away. Um, the way I'm thinking about this is you have this ethos of get off your phone. Which I really appreciate. I feel like David Lynch did the same thing when he re- released The Return. He was like, "Don't tweet during this damn thing. Just watch it, experience it." You know, etc. But um, when I went to the Life Force event, my one regret is I don't have like a visual reminder. Nick does; it's behind us. But I don't have a visual reminder hey. of of he bought the Vertigo poster.
0: Oh, <laughs> I, <nice>. I, got, <laughs> oh I love it. That, we're gonna redo the office. My one stipulation is we work around that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he bought that that at that event, but. So I don't have a visual like kind of representation because it's that experience in the dark with a group of people. I went to your Facebook page and I was looking at some really cool in-car shots of people who's dressed up for the event. And now they have kind of like that forever moment saved because they're not in the dark in that shot, <laughs> right? So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if the drive-in experience how does that affect the communal experience? Are you trying Got to it. build a right a communal yeah. kind
1: of So that's a great question. Um for so that just like the programming is idiosyncratic. So uh, the with the drive-ins we have to be very on the COVID rules and regs or we would get shut down. So like, unfortunately last weekend, I had to go around to like a bunch of people who were talking outside their cars. And I had to ask politely, Oh, could you please get back in your cars? We can't really have people loitering around uh, sure. the parking lot or, to, you know, even getting out of their cars and talking even in masks because right. health told us you can't do that. So what ends up happening is uh, I've tried to adapt the principles of what we did at the Vista for the drive-in. I'll give you examples. So when you come to the Vista, I would be at the table and the team would be at the table. We'd check you in and we'd say hello, or we'd have a little chat. So at the drive-ins, I actually check every car in. And Uh uh, I say, hello, I got my mask on. And that's where the photos come from too. If I see a couple... And, oh, and, cool. and I'm like, oh, you guys look amazing, or this car's great, or I, would, you, would you mind posing? And they're like, no one ever says no to me. So like, <laughs> instead, they're like, oh, could you uh, tag me? I'm at <laughs> the, like, basic Barbie bitch. <laughs> 90- <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah, you got it. Uh, so, um, the, the, So that's that adaptation. Uh, when we show the movie, I go up there and I give uh, an intro, but I also know that the audience's attention span is different than it was at the Vista. They've already been in their car for an hour because they were parked. They really came for the movie. So I try to keep it to three to four minutes. Um, I tell them what's coming up. I give them some trivia about the movie like I would do at the Vista. I thank them. I try to personalize it. I thank Ralph. I let them know who we are. You know, I don't know that I, I completely see it this way, but are either of you guys? Uh, I think this will make sense whether or not you're LA natives. Are either of you LA natives? Mm-hmm. We're okay. both from Ohio. Oh, sweet. We're in Ohio? I'm in Cleveland, Springfield. Okay, my uh, stepdad lived in Ada when he was a teenager. Oh, cool. Up north. Mm-hmm. So I and my stepmom actually, folks divorced and married two Ohioans. Uh, my, st- <laughs> my stepmom was from Youngstown. Okay. Oh, I, yeah, I was driving distance from Youngstown. So there you go. So I know I know Ohio a little bit from Ada mm-hmm. and Youngstown. Um, but, uh, so here in LA and you see this in the movies, there was this era from the thirties to about the late seventies. And the only thing that exists of great restaurants and the only thing that exists from that era now is Musso and Frank's, mm-hmm. uh, which Tarantino name checked in once upon a time in Hollywood. But mm-hmm. there used to be the Trocadero, uh, when the ambassador hotel was up a place called Scandia's on sunset, a place called Chasins in the Valley. Uh, and anyway, there was a guy, Dave Chasen who owned Chasen's who he would like greet you at the door and mm-hmm. whether you were Jack lemon or you were just this, like my granddad who was a businessman who lived in Granada Hills. Oh, Ed Brown. How you doing? Oh, Jack lemon. How are you doing? Um, and everybody <laughs> loved that personalized Chasen's experience. They were hobnobbing with stars, but they were also, they liked the food and also Dave Chasen knew who you were. Right. And, um, my granddad, uh, my my papa, Ed Brown, um, who passed away just a few years ago at 91 or wow. 90, I think um, he was one of these businessmen. He was from Minnesota and he would go into uh, he sold dog food. That was really the company that eventually, uh, you know, blew up for me, did a lot of jobs. And then Neutro Dog Food was his company. Um, he would go into every pet food store, get to know the owner, shake their hand. How are you? What do you need? He'd personalize it. And right. That really made a deep impression on me, which is that, yes, we love movies. Movies are a communal experience, but it's also a weird way, I think, for introverted folks and shy folks and all of us to be among other people mm-hmm. and to be social and have a group experience. And so our MO at Secret Movie Club is, is getting to know you, Um and not in a BS way either, just like... Right. We want you here. Like yep. we can't do this if you're not here. How are you doing? How's that movie? How's the script you're writing? And for,
2: introvert, for introverts, the override because being introverted in in public a lot of times feels like pressing a gas pedal and a brake pedal at the same time. Like right, you're <laughs> so like, but the override is you're so excited about what you're about to experience, right? Yeah, but that it overrides the introversion and the, uh, the awkwardness, and it is just a great experience.
1: And it's it's very funny because, um. At the Vista, I mean, we're kind of going off on a tangent here, but this is something that's obsessed me a little bit, is we would show movies at midnight, uh, and God willing, we'll go back there again uh, and show movies at midnight. So I got to meet a lot of people, mm-hmm. and I had this real realization that, that movies are for many people who are not super social uh, or might have social issues. It's a way for them to get out to go somewhere, and, I, and you just hit on it, George, um, socialize and be safe at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they can engage with the audience if they want. They can laugh and have the communal, but they could also just sit in their seat with their popcorn and people know the rules of a movie that they, you don't necessarily, you're not going to, you, you know, you could just leave that person alone. And I've met a lot of folks, and it really dawned on me that movies have been a lifeline and an outlet for folks who aren't going to go to a party, for folks who mm. maybe are not uh, dating constantly, for folks who who live alone or whatever, um, yep. and I've been there myself. I, I've lived alone. I've not dated. I've gone to the movies and I've loved it. So, sure. um, uh, but but getting back to your driving question, uh, the the interesting things we've noticed are we socialize with people in the cars when we check them in uh people honk their horns instead of applaud which is really funny so if they like something you hear the like honking of the horn um so we'll ask what movies they want to see you'll hear the honking uh ralph (laughs) will ask yeah where you're from you'll hear that uh one of my favorite things is you you know I, i haven't felt like this since i was a waiter at 19 i'm on my feet seven hours it's 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 grueling, but I'm losing my dad weight. I got a three year old. Good
0: for
1: you. Yeah, my wife's my wife's all into it. She's like, this job has done wonders. Um, but uh, but you're, I'm constantly walking up and down the lot, which is kind of like walking up and down past people, and you hear people laugh at the jokes. You we did uh, Zach Snyder's Dawn of the Dead remake um, a few weeks ago. And there's this moment late in the movie where they're escaping in the tricked out vans, mm-hmm. and uh, one guy has the has the chainsaw, and they hit something, and he like saws someone in half. Mm-hmm. If you remember that, yeah, of course. I, uh, ten cars in a row. You heard all these people simultaneously be like, "Oh fuck!" and they all like <laughs> like all the cars bucked at the same time. And so, And so you like saw all these cars go. So you see these weird Spielbergian (laughs) physical representations of the audience responding and that communal experience, George, you're talking about. Mm. And I've said this a lot, but, you know, I'm going to end on this, uh, on this part of the question, which is, Mm. you know, I, I sometimes get people and I hear news and journalists and stuff being like, this is the death of the movie theater. You know, COVID has killed the movie theater. And, First off, I think it's always funny when someone declares the death of anything because yep, yeah. it, it's almost like never quite right. I think yeah, you take... couldn't
2: pull it off. You're not going to pull it off. Right. Yeah, right. right.
1: Exactly. No, exactly. And I think you should be a, a little more humble because you never know what the future holds. I have like 200 records that you can't see because I love vinyl. So everyone thought vinyl was dead. And now nobody has cassette tapes or eight track, you know. Right. But um, but what I've noticed at the drive ins is. You know, we've been doing, this weekend looks a little slow, but uh, up until this weekend, we've been essentially selling out. And what that tells me is people could stay at home. They could watch this movie on Netflix or HBO Max or Amazon, but they decided to pay quite a bit of money and invite their friend and bring food in a car and go where there are other people in cars because somehow that experience is more enjoyable Than watching it on your own in your apartment by yourself. So, I've actually had a lot of optimism that when we get through this and we will get through it, people are always going to gravitate to communal experiences and community experiences. It's just fundamental somehow to who we are.
2: Yeah. I mean, when the monolith shows up in 2001, everyone doesn't go into separate caves and sketch it. They all go, What the hell is this? (laughs) Gather around it. Like, you want to experience that kind of, that kind of, that's, that's, that's amazing. That's an amazing pivot. I'm kind of jealous because you're soaking up the whole communal experience, walking up and down the rows like you're getting the full read on the communal experience. That's really cool. I wish it could be recorded somehow because that's really uh, that's really fascinating.
1: It would be. We should if, if we. You know, we're going to do this now for a few more months at least. We're going to do October. We hope November, but October for sure and uh you know it would probably be a fun thing to show a movie you know is going to get a lot of a horror movie that's going to get a lot of audience reaction and maybe just set up three cameras or four cameras totally. and just let them run for 2 hours and see if we capture something that's
2: <laughs> i think th- i think that's awesome speaking of we're going into horror season right so this mm-hmm. is i'm assuming you're programming a bunch of or you have the idea for a bunch of horror um what is a what is a film that a lot of people haven't seen that can be good for this season and then maybe even past that for going into Thanksgiving and Christmas. What, what take horror fans through the rest of the year since that's primarily who listens to our show?
1: G- got yeah. it. The, so it, we are now, I have to have this conversation with my partner and it, what Ralph with Electric Dust Drive In. And I've learned a lot from Ralph. You know, Ralph had been doing drive ins for nine years. I'd never done drive-ins. So my audience in my head is my Vista audience, or not my, but the Vista audience, or the Million Dollar Theater, or the indoor audience. Mm -hmm. And Ralph would, I'd pitch certain things, and Ralph would be like, I don't. And then other things, he's like, absolutely. And I was always like, why? Because we did um, uh, American Vacation, and Weird Science, and I love Weird Science, and I'd always wanted to show Weird Science, but I thought Ralph was going to say, oh, well, that's kind of not as well-known, but Ralph was like, absolutely. And Weird Science killed. It sold out. Um, But there are other movies I've pitched. He was a little nervous about Punch Drunk Love. And uh, we did well. We, we almost sold out there. Uh, but he was like, oh, I don't really remember that. That movie's kind of like a weird movie, right? And I was like, wow. <laughs> uh, Unlike <laughs> Weird Science, which is totally normal. Right. We, but but, <laughs> but I get but I get where he's coming from. Yep. Ralph is, he just, you know, like Ralph loves Top Gun. Ralph loves mm-hmm. Armageddon. Ralph mm-hmm. loves, and I'm saying this in a really important way. That's a lot of the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, they want to see a big, fun uh movie. And and Ralph has that instinct, and I've learned a lot from it. Now, we're programming October, and we want it to be an all-horror October. I've, I've said this a lot, but October, in my mind, has always, in a weird way, been the beginning of our year uh, because we have a lot of people that come. Horror, everybody loves horror or spooky or Halloween. Um, we're hoping that that continues this, mu- this uh, year, but you never know. Uh, you right. know, people have said it just because it happened in the past never means you're guaranteed it's going to happen again. But to give you an example, we're almost certainly going to be doing Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays at the Sears parking lot. So Fridays and Saturdays will be double features or double bills. Sundays will be family friendly. So like our Sundays, to give you an example, we're looking at uh, E.T. We're looking at Hocus mm-hmm. Pocus. We're looking at the Adams Family, Nightmare <laughs> Before Christmas, Coco. Uh, so, you know, we're looking at movies that your three-year-old could come see Coco, have a fun time. I fucking love Coco. Oh, <laughs> such yeah. a good movie. And Coco is, Coco is great because I, I, I mean, I love Halloween and I love mm-hmm. the way that, that um, America celebrates it. But I, I'm i married to a Latina. My wife, Martha, is Salvadoran. And the Day of the Dead, which is really what we should be doing, which is really what Halloween is in a, in a way, you know, Latinos and Hispanics still... Think about death. They think about people who have died. They really engage with it, which I don't think Americans do as much, to our detriment. I think we we avoid death and thoughts of death, and I, I think that's been a little detrimental to the now American psyche.
2: Serious thinking altogether. So you know, the category, the category <laughs> is bigger true. than that. <laughs> <Right>. I, <laughs> I, I got faith. I got faith in us, but I
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think I some I I, I, I have faith. Uh, but I would say, but I but but in that sense. I definitely think you see an American avoidance of death or an American avoidance, mm-hmm. you know, and you can see it in how we try to stay young and, you know, and sure. plastic surgery and yada, yada, yada. And, um, but Coco, I'm sorry, the thing great about Coco is it introduces an American audience to the day of the dead. And this idea that this boy is learning about his family members who died and dealing with death that's eminent within the family. And, and it's a fun movie, and I yeah. love it. It's, it's about Mexican cinema, too. So anyway, there's the family stuff. Yeah. Now, what we want to do Fridays and Saturdays are more the hardcore fun. So, you know, some of the things I think we might do would be everything from Friday the 13th, part one, and then the final chapter. So mm-hmm. do the the two Friday the 13ths. To, uh, you know, something like maybe two Stephen Kings where you go The Shining and Pet Cemetery. Uh, to, uh, you know, maybe movies from the 70s, scuzzy movies from the 70s. Like, uh, but that really rocked people's brains like Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre and Phantasm uh, yeah. to, you know, maybe uh, doing the Raimi uh, Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2 Army of Darkness, oh. doing it all in one night. Uh, and then going to sort of modern takes on horror that get you thinking, or you know, like Get Out or Cabin in the Woods, um, to uh, you know, anthology horror like Trick or Treat and Creep show. So, hopefully, oh, Nick will lose
2: his mind oh. if you do. Trick or Treat and I'm you.
0: running to that Sears parking lot. <laughs> <place>. <laughs> That's yes. the
2: very first horror thing I discovered about him when I met him was that he has an inordinate love for anthology films, which are the underappreciated. <laughs> branch of horror
1: Mm-mm. yeah and, and it's funny yeah george and nick it, it so nick we really should be asking you i've only seen a few of them but in my research i've realized there are, have been horror anthologies really since i mean dead of night is from the 40s i think yep. and that's a horror anthology and Absolutely. it's just funny they've been going on for a while
0: well i will be in the 90s kid i grew up with uh courage the cowardly dog are you afraid of the dark goosebumps so just growing up, it was like you like short horror. You ain't got a choice. Yeah, you were formatted <laughs> for it. <laughs> like this is what right. you're gonna get. You're gonna like it, right. and, and then we'll give you some movies. <laughs> right. It would be a
2: blast to see body bags in a, a drive. Wow, but but you you nailed it right from the start. Trick or treat is one of your favorite, and creep show is your favorite.
0: Oh, and like what? About, it's like the best fall movie. Like yeah, you smell totally. trick or treat. Yeah, totally. You feel the the chilly fall wind. You know, that's like a, oh.
2: That's a no-brainer. Let me let me uh, hit you with a curveball question real quick. If 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 you were if you had the opportunity to program a couple um, episodes of TV shows instead of movies, what would you pick? Uh,
1: well, or so ha- or have you done it already? Well, <laughs> we've done a little TV. We did Twilight Zone last okay. October, um, okay. and I, that's I you know the old school Rod Serling Twilight Zones are. Ugh. Just, uh, you know, classic short films, classic short stories. Um, and we need a Rod Serling right now. It would be, it, but it, you know, it's like everything. You, you get a Rod Serling every 30 years, you know, <laughs> that's true. you gotta good be, point. it's like you, like you saying, we need another Muhammad Ali or we need that, another James Joyce. And you're like, that, yeah, they come around about every 50 years. So. <laughs> good, good point. I'll wait for uh, Haley's comment. To- <laughs> but the, but, um, TV, I love. So you're asking about TV now. George is the question: If I was doing horror TV or any TV? Uh,
2: well, let's do one of each.
1: So if you if you're doing it for October, and
2: then just an episode oh, gotcha, you would gotcha. love to drop that that would blow people's minds, or you think would be fun.
1: So oh. I, and now I have to get this out right right at the front of the TV. So I I love TV. I have TV ideas creatively I want to do, Mm -hmm. but because I'm realizing more and more as I get older how short life is, Mm -hmm. I tend to really uh, lean into movies. Uh, I just, I love the two hour, hour and a half or whatever experience. I get it. The idea of committing to 50 to a hundred episodes of something, I I respect it. I think it's the wave of the future, and it's 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 the way people used to read novels. It's mm-hmm. why novels are so long. It's not. It, but I'm more of a two hour. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to have this singular, concentrated experience. So I just want to yeah. let people know that I there's I have huge holes. Yep. That being said, um, I would definitely in October program. You know, Twilight Zone and David Lynch directed Twin Peaks episodes mm-hmm. would be um top of my list. Uh I think. Um, I'm also a fairly big fan, you know, like I would even go check it out, but you could, you could do fun, uh, stuff from the sixties, like the outer limits or dark shadows. Uh, you know, I always love TV that has developed a cult following. I mean, you could really look at great episodes of, uh, Dr. Who or the prisoner or, you know, you you could do any of those things, but Uh, the, in terms of not being Halloween themed, um, my favorite TV shows and I, for whatever it is, I, I, Twin Peaks, I've already said, but it is Twin Peaks, Twilight Zone. I also love really absurd comedy. So I'm actually a huge fan of, uh, comedy of, uh, Adult Swim's Aquatine Hunger Force. Oh yeah. oh yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, like I would probably pick the best Aqua Teen Hunger Force episodes, but I've, sh- <laughs> I've shown them to my wife. Uh, and Martha, and even though she gets it, and she gets it, I love absurd humor, I've, she's sometimes been like, what is this about? I'm like, okay, there's a really malicious milkshake who lives with a codependent box of fries and kind of a simple-minded, but good-hearted, uncooked thing of meat. They got a New Jersey neighbor Who's a real perv named Carl? And she's like, "What are you talking?" I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> "I tried that with too many
2: cooks, and I got as far as you did." I Ultimately. I've
0: had slight success with Adult Swim. I got I got uh, my fiance Alex to. Accidentally quote Steve Brol while she was getting interviewed by the news. <laughs> she, she she had a web series get developed and they asked her about it. And she went, "It's so easy." And she went, did "I just quote Steve Brol." <laughs> I was
1: like, "Yeah." You, you laid a trap. You sure that. did. <laughs> well, I so I got a question, George. Too many yeah. cooks. Did you like yes. it or did you have to stop?
2: I had to show it to everybody. Every, as soon it. as I saw it, I had to show it to everybody. My my dream would be if if I would I would crawl across broken glass if. If Secret Movie Club did Twin Peaks: Return, Episode Eight
1: at at, a, a, at a drive-in, yeah, mm. like I,
2: I would lose my mind that was my favorite hour of television. My two favorite
1: TV shows are Sopranos and Twin Peaks. Well, so mm. we uh, we are actually that's in the works uh, now. I don't Oops. know if we're going to do it at the drive-in, but um, right. a all all the David Lynch directed Twin Peaks episodes mm-hmm. as a series mm-hmm. uh, is, and we may even be able to get the editor uh, of Twin Peaks who edited those episodes. Oh, so, lose my mind. yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I think Whoa. when people ask me what the greatest hour of television was I, one of them, I mean, I, I'd want to be humble about it. Cause I think if you think there are some cheers episodes, I think are brilliant. Sure. Um, And like, there's a cheers episode. I don't know if you guys ever saw it and it, I'm dating myself, but I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. It was when Woody got married and it was all in the kitchen of the mansion. I didn't
2: see that. Yeah.
1: Okay. There's this, it's, it's actually weirdly the atypical cheers episode. So Cheers always took place in the bar, right. but there's this one episode where Woody's marrying a, a, she was a character who had been on it for years. He's fa- They're finally getting married. Kelly, she's rich. It's at her house, which is a mansion and it's a farce. So it all takes place in the kitchen of the mansion. Cause the uh. cheers gang are the caterers right. and everything goes nuts. And it's, it's not that usual mix of cheers hilarious comedy and character study Oh it's Cheers doing Moliere. That's crazy. It's, it's Cheers gotta... doing Moliere or Faulty Towers. Oh,
2: wow. I got to Okay, I got to see that.
1: This you is... got It's the Yeah, and I think all the Cheers are on Hulu. Right. So, mm-hmm. and speaking of that, I would show Faulty Towers. I love South Park. Yeah. Um but going to what you were saying, um Monty Python. Mm-hmm. Uh so real quickly, I'm sorry. No, are uh, good. Twin Peaks the return episode 8. I've told this story many times. I was watching that and I know when I'm really into something cause I lean forward. Mm-hmm. I mean, if something really, I'm like, what you? Mm-hmm. What? So if it, I don't want to ruin it for anybody, so I'm going to speak very vaguely cause you need to experience it. Like you're saying, George. Mm-hmm. So the first 10 minutes of it happen, and they're amazing. Right. And you're like, it's already way weird in the first 10 minutes. Absolutely. Then nine inch nails does a song, which ironically is like the most boring part of the movie. A full on performance. Right? performance. <laughs> right, right, right. And it's a great song and they're killing it. then something happens and it cuts and there's a title of where we are and I leaned forward (laughs) and I leaned forward for the next 50 minutes.
2: Well, your ears are brave if you lean forward for what's about to happen (laughs) at that that moment you lean forward. (laughs) And I was,
1: and I I just kept watching (laughs) and I, and that doesn't happen that often. We're like, am I seeing what I'm seeing? How long is he going to commit to this? He's going to commit to it for 50 minutes? That's amazing. (laughs)
2: Well, so let me date myself, right? So, like, Twin Peaks was a formative. Like, it was it was the first time that I felt like someone snuck in under the edifice of culture and got something game changing in it. Totally also, on network
1: TV. Yeah,
2: incredible, right? But so that the the reveal of of Laura Palmer's killer that episode is the most terrifying moment of TV I have ever experienced until episode eight. And the span of time between those two is absurd, right? Like, and and up to that, and I'm a huge fan of The Return, but, like, up to that, you had... I mean, it starts with that massacre cube scene, right? So, like, yeah, the whole yeah. series starts with... So you have some terrifying moments and some hilarious moments, but the, the, it was, like, a transcendent, like... It, I was talking to Nick cuz he knew how excited I was that the return was happening and that episode was so unsettling we were like are we going to sleep or like stay up for 24 hours after this or what you know what it was an
0: incredible experience the only thing i remember is loving the episode but then i think it was like 2 months ago or something like that i what? I was I was going on some kind of Spotify radio playlist or something like that, mm-hmm. and then I the, remember and then the victims of the serenity <laughs> <the> <laughs> for the victims of
2: erosion. Yeah, it
0: played. I didn't know because I had it like on like it's a different monitor or something like that, and all of a sudden, I, went <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, <laughs>
2: no, not re-experiencing, no, it not started. doing it, still can't do it. But well, it would I, be so remarkable to experience that in a communal experience like a Vista or like you're saying, like it's incredible that
1: you well, picked that. Well, yeah. and and. and You know, we're talking about horror. Yep. I think that Twin Peaks, specifically the movie Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, Mm -hmm. is as close to pure horror as David Lynch ever got. And even though all of his stuff is unsettling, and, you know, just to drop some trivia, uh, um, you 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 guys probably know this, episode eight, there's a story, which, again, I don't want to really give too much of it away, but it involves an, an insect and there's an insect, and then we, we meet these two little kids, not little kids, but sort of adolescent 14 kids. Year old, yeah. 14 year olds walking and talking. That Lynch, if, if you study Lynch's life, the return is his autobiography.
2: Yeah.
1: He, he wrote his autobiography as the third season of Twin Peaks, and the first movie he was going to make before Eraserhead was a movie, I believe, called Garden Back about an adolescent girl who swallows a bug. And when you watched, when I saw it, I was like, is he finally making Garden Back? (laughs) Right? Yeah, and and I couldn't believe. And so when you watch it, the Cube thing to me is him referencing the Lost Highway era. Sure. Uh, you, you can sort of feel as you go through the return. It's totally
2: different. Yeah, it's sure. totally
1: different. He's he's here. I am. And, you know, this here I am. In Here's that. Mulholland
2: Drive shows up. Yep. That's yep. right. When we yep. get
1: to the end of this series and then it also goes beyond. I right. mean, I, 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 I tell people my favorite film of 2017 was Twin Peaks, The Return. Yep. Because when and I don't want to I don't want to even say and I'm not going to because people should just see it. And you do have to watch all 18 episodes and, mm-hmm. you know, some of them work, some of them not as much. But um, although I loved everyone, but when you get to the end of the series, the very end, and I don't want to say what it is. Mm-hmm. But when you get to those last 10, 20 minutes and you realize, oh, this is the last 10, 20 minutes. Like mm-hmm. I I thought it was going to be something different, but this is what it is. He goes beyond what he's ever done yep. into this like some new territory that's even more unsettling. <laughs> yep. Yeah. cuz that might be the
2: other most terrifying moment of TV is what it literally ends on. That sound and the and what happened there was just so spooky and and bizarre. And that that's the thing is I think one of the things that so it, at, because it kind of it, it 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 goes along with what you're sort of a part of what you're creating with Secret Movie Club is it it's funny when you referenced Tarantino because I think one of the powerful things about The dynamic between Brad Pitt's character and Leo's character in Once Upon a Time is they know each other and they don't, (laughs) (laughs) right? And they're friends and they're not. But you can tell that the payoff, and I think it's one of the quietest payoffs in a modern movie, is the payoff is when they're watching the TV together. I'm mesmerized by that scene because that shouldn't work. We shouldn't be watching two characters watch a little black and white TV and it'd be like what a thrilling moment in a movie right so they know each other and they don't David Lynch I feel like as a filmmaker you can only know and not know simultaneously right and as much as you know him you also don't know him right which is and I feel like that really suits itself to the Vista theater kind of experience you know the people you're in the theater with you suspect they have the same enthusiasms and passions you do, right? Because you're all there, right? But you don't know how they're going to react to it. You don't know what brought them to it. You don't know if this is a sentimental favorite movie and it's something they got them when they were young or it's something that it's like their very favorite movie of all time and like whatever. So you know you're with people that are sort of like you but also not. I think that's a really cool element of what you're doing because it's built into a lot of what you do.
1: Well, you know, there's this great quote Um, By Willa Cather, the author, and she said, uh, the heart of another is a dark forest always, no matter how close it has been to one's own. And um, I have always when I heard that it was a little startling to me because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very family oriented. I'm one of seven. Um, I I, my whole life has been cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents and everybody in a house and. Obviously, you know fights and this and that, but we're we're essentially a good tight family. Thank God, I'm very grateful. Mm -hmm. Um, But as I get older, I feel that quote is important. Yes, we know people, and and absolutely, I want to say this the right way, but it's important to be humble that people have mysteries in them, and that you always have to allow. That a person could behave inconsistent with how they behaved before, or a person may have a mystery or a secret or multitudes that you don't know, and it's a it's a humility, and I think that our greatest movie makers tap into that. And I think David Lynch is one of them, mm-hmm. where his characters have multitudes, and you know whether it's it's uh, Kyle McLaughlin in The Return or Naomi Watts in Mulholland Drive. Or, um, you know, Patricia Watson
2: the return. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Any of them, you kind of know them, but then he intentionally is telling you like explicitly, but you also don't. Um, and, and there, there's something very powerful about that to me that we, we contain multitudes and we need to be humble about that. And and to your point about people doing things unexpected that, you know, there's a
2: story that Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote, I think, called Wakefield. And a lot of it. He was a writer's writer. So a lot of writers have named that as one of their favorite stories or one of the most chilling stories ever written of all time. And they made a terrible movie out of it. But uh, but the idea is this guy is living his life. And then one day he's 45 whatever. He walks out of his house. He leaves. He vanishes on his family, his kids, his wife just vanishes. And it turns out at the end of the story that he went like four city blocks over and just took on a new identity and lived the whole rest of his life there, (laughs) like three miles away, (laughs) right? And there's no explanation. It's just terrifying. But people can do unexpected things, right? And that's... Part of the magic of of just programming, like what you're doing, is you can wake up the next morning and be like, "Oh, what Secret Movie Club doing for Christmas?" And sure, there's going to be like, "Oh yeah, they're doing National Lampoon, they're doing over, but they might also be doing, you know, Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> spoiler. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly right. And that and that feeling of knowing it and not knowing it, I think is like it's just a really magical thing. right? Well, I it,
1: th- thank you. I, you know, also the, the one of the things and I want to say this the right way, because I'm not I'm not here to proselytize at all. My dad was a Zen Buddhist and I lived with a Muslim family. And I, I actually am very I, I tell people I'm very spiritually promiscuous. I actually <laughs> I uh, you know I take things from the Bhagavad Gita and I take things from uh, the Bible and the Quran and Lao yeah, like, Tzu and the Tao and, and the uh, you know from. no Necronomicon. <laughs> I am Catholic. I don't mess with that. <laughs> <laughs> the line has been drawn. Oh no, there is there is a line. We've had this conversation at Secret Movie Club. I am never going to like look in a mirror and say something three times. Or, like, like you're never going to get me tempting the devil. And we've got people on our team who are like ah the devil does. And I'm like, okay, that's great for you, homie. Like, I'm not, I'm not selling my soul. I'm not invoking (laughs) anything. I'm not chancing it. And, uh, and, and now what I mean by that is I don't want, I don't want to be too cute by half. My, my ideas aren't that some cloven hoof thing is going to appear, but I'm not, you know, it's why I love Raiders at the end of Raiders. Indiana Jones, even though he's a skeptical scientist for all intents and purposes, has the humility to know the Ark contains something transcendent. Yep. And he turns to Marion and he says, close your eyes. And everybody else, the Nazis and Belloc, they are not humble in front of the transcendent and their faces melt and they blow up. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and so that's just my my default policy is I'm going to be, you know, we're alive for what, 80 years And we think we know the whole universe and we're like, it's absurd. absurd. And you're going to sit there and be like, well, I know for sure there's nothing transcendent in the universe. I know for sure there's no, no, I don't like (laughs) that. That's like good on you, but I'm going to be humble about that stuff. Well, and it's also a little
2: insulting to the movies themselves. If the movies are doing justice to certain figures, you want to not you want to be terrified. We reviewed Daniel, the De- devil, De- 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 Daniel Webster. That was great. And after watching it, I was like, Nope, no deals with the devil. He's terrifying. Yeah, no. I don't, I don't want to
1: have to go to court with Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. But, but anyway, that, you were... <laughs> that should just be what you tell your kids. Look, you don't want to go to court with Napoleon. <laughs> just don't deal unge- with yeah.
2: He's a, he's a huge pain to
1: the, uh, whole world. the But I, I'm sorry. I got sidetracked. We Not were enough. the, the, but, but what I wanted to say, see, this is the digressiveness. I love showing Alfonso Cuarón's Children and Men as a Christmas movie. And I've had people be like, a Christmas movie? I'm like, it's a Christmas movie. And people will be like, no, what do you do? It's great. But I'm like, okay. (laughs) There's a world in which no children are being born anymore. And then there's a woman who uh, is suddenly miraculously pregnant with (laughs) a child who's going to redeem the world. Where is she introduced? In a barn in danger. What what is the first thing that Clive Owen says when he sees the pregnant woman? Jesus. <laughs> he's Joseph. He's lost a child. He's not the father of the child. He shepherds her to a boat called the Hope or whatever it is. And while they're being shepherded and he's rowing out, they're playing a mass. Oh, so, yeah. right. So like when people are like I'm like look, those those might not be your whistles. I get that you didn't go to Catholic school or Mass for on Sundays. Sure. Word, but <laughs> but when you watch Children of Men, you're like, wow, they found a way to talk about these themes and these myths and these things that really move us in an, in a new, interesting way. So that's like a Christmas movie too, along with It's a Wonderful Life. That that's was a great a really suggestion story.
2: for a Christmas movie oh, uh, like. around that. Yeah, for that because I love Children of Men too. That's really interesting that people don't catch that when it's a th- Thriller. You can like when Mother exclamation point came. Mother. People (laughs) knew that they were in an allegory, right? Because there was nothing was happening. (laughs) So it was like you were saying before, where your senses get heightened, where you know you pick up the 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 sound that when the sound's gone, you're picking up the visual paper mache errors, right? Like you your brain pivots. So that you know. But Troller to Men* is such a propulsive thriller. People don't guess they're in an allegory.
1: (laughs) Which is, I think, what makes it so good. Yeah. Uh, You you know, I I mean, this is a conversation. We could be here for hours and hours, but we all decide um, what kind of films we respond to and what we like or whatever and what, you know, how we'd want to make movies. And I always feel that I don't feel that film is a medium for lecturing people. I really don't. And I don't think that film is a medium where you have a set moral or you're teaching a lesson or you're being didactic. That's not what cinema is. That's not what life is. Uh, But, but I feel that if these things get in it and you pick up on it through the side door and it's there if you want it, but it doesn't have to be there if you don't want it, that's cinema to me. And if someone points it out or they pick it up, you know, it's that great thing. Um, I just, you respect the audience and you, and you also, I think, have the humility and respect yourself not to start with a predestined, uh, this is the yep. lesson I'm teaching. Mm-hmm. You go, look, I, you know, it's like why I love what, when Stephen King writes, he always says he starts with um, a concept or an idea and then he just goes wherever it takes him. Right. And he, he doesn't understand writers who know the last line of the novel or write right. the last chapter. He doesn't do that. He goes, you know, what would happen if a super flu killed 99% of the world or 99 point, And that's the stand, my favorite book of his. Yep. And then he goes from there and he does all these amazing, all these thematics and morals and things come out, but you never have any idea where the book's going just like life. Cause he didn't. Yep. And that that's what I love. So I think children of men is great. Cause I think Cuaron is a good enough director. He's not, hammering you that this is an allegory about it where it's meant to go yeah yeah yeah
2: there's a great story about pushkin the, the writer where he he sent a, a letter or telegram or something I forget what it was to a friend and he was like you're never going to believe what eugene did today and the person sent back like who's eugene he's like oh it's the guy i'm writing he tried to kill himself he's like you're writing it <laughs> <laughs>
1: Are you surprised? He's like, oh, I just let the characters do what they're going to do. <laughs> Whatever, but that's, just... I love it, but George, but I love that that that's to me when your characters and I'm a writer too. When your characters do something, you have a decision: do you right. let them do it, or oh. do you try to force them where you thought they were going to go? Because right. it might ruin the rest of your outline. But <laughs> wow. you know, but when you're like, no, you want to do this, and I'm going to just now, right. I'm just a transcriber. I think that's when you write real true art. Yeah. And that's
2: the the, I told Nick because I'm a my my biggest uh, cultural thing is Shakespeare. So like I I told Nick one of the things I appreciated as I got older is that you can't you can't identify any kind of belief or positive thing. You can just cite for certain that Shakespeare believed. right? Right. If you find a piece of evidence that he was highly religious, you can find a piece of evidence that he wasn't. If you find a piece of evidence that he had right leaning tendencies politically you find evidence that he had left you can't you can't identify an opinion of shakespeare's he's literally like he he, the art was to entertain and let the characters do what they were going to do to the maximum potential but not to guide them with any kind of message or you know
1: like you said proselytizing well and it's yeah and it's well and it's that thing it's the zen thing it's funny the the i'm a i am a spiritual person um but i came to that conclusion on my own journey and i've um you know and 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 it's still dynamic and i've met people who are not spiritual who and i really respect them because i know they have had experiences and they are seeing things that i am not experiencing i'm not seeing and they're seeing atrocities and horrors and nonsensical things and they're saying there is not <laughs> You know, there's not an invisible hand here. There right. is, and I really respect it and, and I feel we all see it differently. And weirdly, it's the collective, like, consciousness that sees the whole, but none of us individually see the whole and we have to be respectful and humble that, hey, I would just rather hear what you believe because maybe I'm going to learn from you. Right. And, and and that's why I think proselytizing is dumb because why I know what I believe. So I don't need to proselytize to you. I'd rather hear from you and really listen. And maybe you're going to say something and rock my world and I'm going to change. But if all I'm doing is lecturing you, then what am I doing? I'm just relearning what I already know. And who knows if
2: we even know, like in the horror side of things, I had read a hilariously titled story called Vanny Fucci is Alive and Well and Living in Hell. And the (laughs) premise of the story, I think Dan Simmons wrote it, but that could be wrong. But the the premise of the story was that when enough people, when a biggest. A big enough block of humanity is collectively deciding they believe in something, it comes to being. So this poor guy was in one of the circles of hell because everyone believed Dante's inferno <laughs> at the time. And he was so mad at Dante. Because Dante would just put everyone he hated in life, all his rivals, like like Nick would put the landscaper into hell just for making lawn noises. Like it was like he was just like putting people he didn't like in hell when he was writing it. Like and the guy's like, I'm just randomly here. I can't believe it. he's like, I can't wait for all of you to stop believing this so it can turn into something else. But we don't know. <laughs> it's better to find out what people believe than try to Tell the rag. I, I totally agree. Yeah, Speaking of yeah. believing in something, so your project is amazing. How does how does a person who's listening to this podcast or active on social media or how do they support this effort? Like, how, how do they follow you? How do they let people know what, where where to go? What it is?
1: Well, so a number of things. That, the uh, so let's just get right to it. So, Secret Movie Club is a community of movie lovers and movie makers, and where we've always been heading, um, and I hope we continue to head there is uh, we're going to be showing great movies. So we always want you to be able to see a great movie on film, if we can get it, when we can go back to the theaters, with an audience. Because there's no better way to learn about movie making than to sit and watch, um, you know, like Duel, uh, Steven Spielberg's Duel. which we, We watch Duel with like 200 people, and you're like, oh, this is why that works. So that's part of it. Come see the great movies. On film, if they're digital, we'll show them digitally. We're not dogmatists. Uh, and, um, you know, that's that's one thing. Um, and you can go to secretmovieclub.com. You can follow us on Eventbrite. Just Google Secret Movie Club and Eventbrite and follow us because all our tickets go on Eventbrite. You'll just get notifications. Okay. Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Pinterest. I think we're going to be on Letterboxd soon. So th- there's all that. Two... We've moved into, we do, uh, we're doing a Secret Movie Club radio hour, so we're doing uh, radio narratives, um, oh, cool. and those come out about once a month uh, because we wanted to get actors together and writers together and create during COVID. Oh, we did a so cool. uh, five-minute or less Uh, film festival in April, where our only rules to everybody were the movie had to be five minutes or less. The total budget had to be a hundred dollars. So nobody was, yeah, nobody was uh, had a grand or whatever. And it all had to be shot during COVID respecting the rules of COVID. Uh, So if we saw, you know, you had a thousand extras in central park, (laughs) you probably didn't shoot (laughs) that. And and so um, we did it. We got like 25 submissions. And so we're, what I'm trying to get at is we're, we're constantly trying to grow into Watching great movies, so that is always going to be what we do. Uh, Creating original content. We also now are having Secret Movie Club audience members do a blog series. So we just had a Secret Movie Clubber, Mitchell Nagy, write about two of his favorite Japanese anime movies, Whisper of the Heart, Studio Ghibli's Whisper of the Heart, Mm -hmm. and Galaxy, uh, I think it's Galaxy Train 999 or 999, um, a real early one. Uh, And, you know, I love that. Going along with what we were saying, George, If I was always just writing, it would only be my taste. Or if it was just a team of three or four, we would hit a ceiling. But if you write about it, I didn't know about that Hawthorne short story, Wakefield. I mean, I want to read it right now. If Nick (laughs) wrote about it, uh, you know, and he talks about, you know, having PTSD when he, when he heard the, you know, Requiem because of episode eight, <laughs> you know, that makes your world bigger. So we, uh, we, we're having a woman write a series on Giallo. So we also want oh. writers to, uh, write in and we'll give them a two or three or four series blog series. Um, we're also going to be moving into short films. We're also looking into potentially, and then I want to stop here because you also have to be realistic. We're also looking, COVID also made me realize we need a virtual component right. um, mm-hmm. because our audience can only be so big in Southern California. There are only so many people, uh, and by the way, it's not, I don't want that to sound wrong. It's not like we're selling out every day, guys. We just, <laughs> just got to turn you away. That's not what I'm saying. Understood. I've done movies where we had 40 people and, you know, I was glad to have them. Um, but We have people in Canada and the UK and New York and Iowa and Oklahoma who want to be part of the community. Garen is in New Orleans, you know, and, you know, they're not they're not going to be able to come see the live stuff. So we're really trying to build up our we have a Facebook group where we post deep dives into the movies and articles. We want people virtually to engage. And I think one of those things will be maybe in 2021, we'll have some kind of virtual channel, a secret movie club channel, and it'll have content and movies and people can just download it and watch. And we want to grow the community uh, in Southern California and virtually around the world. That's awesome. And you have a podcast as well, right? We do. Yeah. Uh, it's a, so just secret movie club podcast. It's really easy to find. Just Google that. We, you know, it pops up in the Google thing. Cause when in the Google podcast, you can go to Secretmovieclub.com, and almost everything we do is there. So Secretmovieclub.com is a great place to start because you can look at everything. And then at the bottom, there are all our social media. So you That's can awesome. just, just get sent out to our Vimeo, to our Facebook, to our whatever.
0: Perfect.
2: Very, very cool. This was amazing. We so appreciate you taking the time to do this. I, I can't tell you how impressed I am with the fact that this was an effort that turned into another effort in the face of the COVID thing. And both efforts are wildly successful. I love that